reaching the end of our Exodus series, which has been going on for probably about nine months now with other bits in between, and we're kind of bringing it into land, and we're going to end up with a massive finale in two weeks' time, (laughs) where there will be tremendous oratory, theology, and signs and wonders from Matt Gopal. (laughs) But I'm just setting it up for that. Today we're in in chapter 18, and this is all about imparting wisdom, something that we don't talk about that often, but is such an important art to master. The, The ability to impart wisdom isn't about knowing how to be clever or, or to share everything you know. It's about having the opportunity to shape future generations. It's that important. It's important that we do this well, because the implications reach beyond what we can actually measure. So listen up, because Jethro is about to give us a masterclass in wisdom impartation. Okay? You ready? So we're in Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to read from verse 1. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. In verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness He brought Moses' wife and two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro sent a message to Moses, saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. Jethro took the initiative to go and see Moses. He didn't wait for Moses to invite Jethro to go and see him. He heard what Moses was doing. He heard what God had been doing through Moses. He knew he needed support out there in the desert. And he probably also thought this guy needs to reconnect with his wife and sons. Being a loving granddad. Well anyway, he went out of his way to help the family find a better balance. And to find a sustainable future. Even though he wasn't asked to. Can be a tricky business, right? Sharing wisdom and advice when you're not asked to speak into the situation can be a tricky business indeed. Because advice isn't always well received, is it? You may know what it is to try and to try to help someone only to be rebuffed and left feeling that you've stuck your oar in where it wasn't wanted. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm never going to try and share wisdom ever again after the last time I tried to impart a bit of wisdom or share some advice. But here's the thing. The next generation will be impoverished if we don't find a way of imparting the precious wisdom that we carry. (coughs) Generations can be stunted Because nobody stood up and said, do you know what? Something's wrong here. You see it in families. Repeated poverty and dysfunction, generation after generation. A cycle that seems impossible to be broken. Even if some see what's going on. 
It might be bad money management. It may be relationship breakdown and unforgiveness. It could be a whole host of things, and we can all think of things. We could probably all see things in our own family that seem to happen generation after generation, and we don't quite know why. And yet no one seems to care enough to acknowledge the situation, to take some initiative, and to begin to speak wisdom and make changes that will help future generations. So the cycle continues. And the enemy is delighted. Yet when one person is willing to seek the Lord and to be open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and to begin to impart wisdom into a family, the Lord is delighted. And the enemy has smoke coming out of his ears because he can't stand it. Why? Because a gentle voice of wisdom can break negative cycles of many generations and change the destiny of generations to come. It's as powerful as that. And wisdom needs to be imparted. It needs to be transferred from one generation to another. You have to set out your store. You have to speak up. You can't just think these things and hope that things will change. Just quickly turn with me to Proverbs in chapter 9. Proverbs in chapter 9 and verse 1. Wisdom, this is speaking as though wisdom is a person. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines and set the table. She has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple to those who lack good judgment. She says, come and eat my food and the drink I have have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Wisdom has built her house. And she shouts from the rooftop. Imparting wisdom requires careful preparation and a willingness to speak out. You might be sitting there and say, well, this is a lovely message, Mr. Preacher, but I'm not sure I've got that much wisdom to share. We all carry a measure of wisdom. Perhaps some more than others. And if you're feeling in short supply, I've got a great verse for you. You ready? James 1 verse 5. Does anybody lack wisdom? Put your hand up if you feel that sometimes you lack wisdom. We're all in good company. I certainly feel like that quite a lot. Does anybody lack wisdom? It says, let them ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to them. I love that. Generously and without reproach. You know what that means? God is prepared to give you tons of wisdom. More than you can ask for or more than you need. He's a generous God. He will give beyond the measure of what you need. And without reproach. Do you know what that means? That means he won't make you feel silly for asking. It's not stupid to ask God for wisdom. It's the wisest thing you can do. (laughs) Because none of us have got it all sussed. And sometimes... I. I think we can be a little bit 
slow to ask God for what we need because we like to think we've got it all together. But actually, if we are people throughout our lives being open to the wisdom of God, speaking into our hearts and acknowledging before him that we need him not just at major moments in our lives, but moment by moment with every new thing that arises and that there might be a flow of wisdom coming from God through our lives that we can share. What a tremendous way to live. What a tremendous thing to be asking God for. And he is a generous God and he loves to give. But we all have wisdom. We can all see some things that other people can't. You have, there, there's all kinds of wisdom. Wisdom in relationships and matters of the heart. Spiritual wisdom. Practical wisdom. Financial wisdom. Political. Medical. Parental whatever. There's so many kinds of wisdom. And it's more than just theory or education or skill. It's a deep perceptivity and a well-tested working knowledge that can be carefully applied to new situations as they arise. You've got some of that. You may not feel like you've got some of that sometimes, but you have got some of that to share. It's the kind of understanding that can only come in two ways. One, by experience and reflection. Life experience, don't knock it. People that have lived a bit longer than us generally have good things to share about things. And by revelation from the Holy Spirit. You know, just because maybe we haven't lived as long as someone doesn't mean to say that we can't see things in a way that gives helpful insight. So it comes in both ways, by by revelation of the Holy Spirit and also by reflection and experience. It's often a dynamic combination of the two, where God takes what we know and understand and helps us to apply it to a new situation. It's precious and it's needed if the next generation is to avoid the same mistakes as the previous one and to go on to fulfill its potential. And as we're going to see, if Jethro had not been forthcoming with his wisdom for Moses... Moses would have almost certainly burned out and dropped out of God's plans early. We have no idea how much hinges on our ability to impart wisdom successfully down through the generations. But it begins with an older generation being willing to share and being prepared to take the initiative if necessary. As uncomfortable as that may feel sometimes. So point number one, Jethro took the initiative. Point number two... Jethro took time to understand Moses and to celebrate what God was doing in his life. Let's read verses 7 to 12. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. And he bowed low and he kissed him. And they asked about each other's welfare. And then they went into Moses' tent. And Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from their troubles. Jethro was delighted and he heard about all the good things that, that the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods 
because he has rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jephro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. I love that. So long before any advice was given, before any wisdom could be imparted, these two men took time to look over all that the Lord had done in, with, and through Moses. They looked at Moses' life together and they worshipped. There's something really powerful about a mentor openly thanking God for what he sees, he or she sees, in a younger person. Really powerful. It brings the approval and the excitement of heaven for that person into the present and it waters the seed of faith that God has planted. It's so powerful. It's so encouraging to have someone affirm that they have really understood you and has grasped what your experience has been like, what is the ups and the downs, and they know you pretty well, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm getting some issues with me, Mike, but there you go. It's so precious when they can affirm you in that way. When they know what it's been like and they can still say, I, am, I, I can rejoice in what I see that God has done and is doing in your life. It's so affirming. It's like being chosen all over again despite our failures and weaknesses. What a gift. In middle March, George Eliot said, Wisdom lies more in affection and sincerity than people are apt to imagine. Affection and sincerity is the perfect ground for imparting wisdom. And this is what I want, to, want us to really understand about this point. It's easy to receive advice, direction, even rebuke from a person if you know they care, that they understand, and that they're excited about your life, and they only have your best interests at heart. I'm going to say that again. It's easy to receive advice, direction, and even rebuke from a person if you know that they care, they understand, and that they're excited about your life, and they have only your best interests at heart. It's easy to take advice on board from somebody like that. In fact, if somebody loves you like that, and they have experience of their own that may be useful to you, you actually go looking for it. You go looking for people like that, that are willing to invest in your life in that way. Because when someone who is older and wiser and supportive says something significant, it makes you feel honoured and not put down. The same piece of wise advice can be given from someone who is unsupportive and judgmental, and it will have a completely different effect. It will make you feel inadequate and squashed, and so, like someone's just pointed out your faults or something you could be doing better. So how important is it that we take time to understand and add value to a person before we attempt to offer suggestions for improvement? That's so often where I think we go wrong. Maybe it's a word for some of us parents and grandparents here. Maybe to attempt to offer advice before we've really, really let them know that we celebrate them as a person just as they are. Maybe we've been able to put our finger 
on, on the way that God is building them up. Maybe we, we, we haven't been able to celebrate with them who they are and what God is doing before we've given a suggestion. Jethro took the time to really listen to Moses, to find out how life had been, to walk through it together, to point out, to affirm all the good things that he could see God doing. And then to, and to feel the pain of some of the hard bits along the way. And then to look him in the eye and say, I am so excited about what God's doing in your life. And to even be willing to sacrifice and gather everybody together to celebrate what God had done with the people and what God had done through Moses. At that point, that, that's probably the first time that Moses has been really endorsed by somebody else other than God. And what, what a tremendous gift that would have been for Moses in the sight of all the people. And I bet at this point he really needed that. I love that picture in verse 12 of, the, of, of this meal together. In the presence of God. I think God used Jethro powerfully to build Moses up and bring the community together. What a great moment. The Apostle Paul in this same spirit, says throughout his letters, I thank my God because of you. How many times does the Apostle Paul say that? Lots, I haven't had time to count, but he says it lots, because I know that it's repeated through the letters. I thank my God because of you. Thanking God because of someone is like pulling someone close and guiding them into an experience of the favour and the pleasure of God over them. It's like saying to someone, God and I have been talking about you. You've caught both of our attention and we agree that you're amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Watch out for the greater purposes God has for you because he's delighted with you and he's for you. And by the way, so am I. What a wonderful gift to give to someone. Jethro just enjoys Moses and affirms what God has done. No agenda. So I wonder... Has anyone ever done that for you? Have you ever had anyone in your life that has just encouraged you and celebrated you and believed in you and taken an interest and praised God because of you? You know it when you've had someone do that for you. So who, who is that person in your life? If you have someone like that, I want to encourage you to go and thank them. Because those people are really rare. And if you don't have someone in your life like that, we need to cultivate that here. We need to be the people that will do that for one another. And that means we have to take the initiative. We have to ask God to, to help us to be those people that are willing to invest on that level in other people. So, better question. Who are you celebrating? Who are you thanking God for? And making sure that they know you're thanking God for them. Who are you encouraging in the Lord? Keep going because you have no idea how important that could be for them. Or when you might be in just the right place to impart a word of wisdom or correction or direction or even rebuke because you've laid that foundation of a trusting relationship and such, you have such a lot of equity with that person because you have built that relationship of trust and of honouring 
so that you're in exactly the right position that when you see that something is a little bit off, you, your words will be gratefully received. And you may be able to have a big impact in that person's life. Point number three. Jethro notices when something is off and he loves Moses enough to mention it. Let's read verses 14 and 17. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning until evening? Verse 17, this is not good. Moses' father-in-law exclaimed, you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. Call it tough love, if you like. He was willing to say the hard things. He was willing to risk being rejected, rebuffed, being told to not to stick his oar in and to take his advice somewhere else. He was willing to speak up. He says to Moses, what you are doing is not good. And he offers a fresh perspective on Moses' reality. He points out a blind spot, if you will. A totally unhealthy situation that Moses has just kind of wandered into. Because Moses hasn't particularly wanted to set himself up as the judge of all the world, it would have seemed. He didn't want to spend every day from dawn till dusk dealing with people's squabbles. It's not much fun, I can tell you. But he was just getting on with the job. He was doing what he perceived God had asked him to do. And he was being faithful to the call that he felt God had given him to do. But it had subtly increased to the point where it was unhealthy. And he hadn't read the warning signs that it was not sustainable. It takes a fresh, experienced pair of eyes to show him his imbalance and to offer a better way forward. Somebody did this same thing for me once. Not too long ago, about 18 months ago, a year ago, when I first became pastor here um, and I was just getting on with the job and I found that I was just taking on too much. Uh, I had so many different things that I wanted to attend to and so many areas of church life that I just felt so responsible for that I found after a while that I was really struggling just to keep the plate spinning, to keep home in a, with a balance and to keep my relationship with God in balance and to keep the church in balance and, and to, to do all the things that you need to do as a pastor which is a random collection of tasks and uh, I was giving it my best shot and I was going for it and I was enjoying it and I was feeling like I was right in the centre of God's purposes I was loving it at the same time I was noticing that the that the tide level of my responsibility was rising and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do about all of that. And I had all these dreams and visions that God was putting on my heart, all these ways that I, I, I felt called to pioneering, but they seemed a million miles away because I, I had too much going on just keeping the ship afloat. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I was really blessed to have um, a, a mentor called David Coffey. Some of you know him. Um, he's a great guy. I've got all the time in the world for David. I meet with him uh, about once every two or three months, um, and we just talk about anything. And he asks me all these penetrating questions, which I have to answer. Um, and that's what I go to him for, because he's going to ask the questions that maybe nobody else will. 
And he'll tell me where he doesn't think I'm, I'm doing a great job, or he'll say where I think I've got something a bit off, or, or he'll ask me a question that maybe others would be afraid to ask. And I love that. But the, he was saying, you know, to, probably just perceiving that I was, you know, uh, I don't know, keeping a stiff upper lip and pressing on and manning up and saying, it's okay, I can do it all. And he's saying, he, he gathered that I was doing too much. And he just said, look, can we just sketch out everything that you're doing, everything you're responsible for? And so we started going through this list of everything that I was responsible for. I'm not going to try and go through it now because I can't remember it all. And then I'll feel like you're thinking I'm not doing enough, so I won't do that. <laughs> but there was a big list that I felt personally responsible for. And as we were writing them down, he, oh, sorry, his eyes start to scowl. He said, okay, so you're responsible for that. Okay, and, and who looks after home groups and coordinates that? Oh, you do, okay. And who do, who, who, who's responsible for Alpha? Okay, yeah, right, you are doing that. And, uh, who, and, and just going through all these, all these different things. And who, who planned, designs the preaching programs? Oh, okay, you do. And just going through. Um, and in the end, he was just, he sort of showed me the list. And he's just like, you can't do that long term. You, that shouldn't all be your job. And I hadn't, it hadn't really occurred to me. Because that was my job description, basically. And so he said, what, what I want you to do is I want you to take some time out in prayer. This is a prayer thing. This is a spiritual exercise. This is not just kind of, you know, uh, delegate and, and move on. This is a spiritual exercise. I want you to take some time out, a retreat day, and I want you to just take this list and all the other things that you think of that you haven't thought of today that you do that can spring to mind in the, in the process. And what I want you to do is I want, I want you to have three lists. One is absolutely my responsibility that God has given for me to do and that nobody else can really do because it's what my role is as the pastor. Another list, others could take responsibility with close oversight. So in a sense, you're delegating it, but you're keeping a very close oversight of the work. Like youth, youth and children's work, you know. Fee takes responsibility for that, but I'm a line manager, that kind of thing. Others could take full responsibility with, very, with a little bit of accountability. That's your third list. And I want you to pray over everything you do, and I want you to separate them into those categories. And when you've done that, I want you to work towards that in the next six months, that you could delegate those things and set, restructure things in a completely different way. And I took a day out at Buckfast Abbey to do this. Uh, and I have to say, I've never had a holy moment writing a list before, but this was a first. It really, I just felt the presence of God. As I started doing this, firstly I felt a freedom that, oh my goodness, God's not asking me to do all this stuff. It was tremendous to feel the freedom that it wasn't all down to me. Um, and then when I saw these lists starting to form, I just felt this excitement of the Holy Spirit. I felt the joy of heaven. I felt a burden release from my shoulders. And I felt excited for the capacity that I would have to do some of the things that God had been able to plant on my heart. And over the next few weeks, I just felt the burden lift more and more. And over the next six months, I just found that there was, there was so much more space in my life to be able to seek God personally, to be able to get the balance right with family, and then to start pioneering. And one of the things that God had dropped on my heart was a powerful annual festival in the life of this town that was going to grow. 
and was going to set the trajectory of the spiritual life of the town. I don't know if I'd have been able to do that if I was carrying the burdens that I was carrying before I did that exercise. So important. What would have happened if I hadn't had that meeting with David Coffey? I'm sure one of you would have been kind enough to say, what are you doing? Um, I'm sure. Or the Lord would have just spoken to me anyway. But God used him so powerfully. And I'm grateful to the Lord for David's willingness to speak a word of correction for me. He said, what you are doing is not good. And I wonder... Is it possible that God's plans can be enabled or frustrated depending on our willingness to speak a word of wisdom in season? You are somebody's David Coffey. You will be able to see things in people's lives that they can't see. They're blind spots, so by nature they can't see them. You know? Have you cultivated the relationships in such a way that when you see them, your words might be gratefully received? What would have happened if Moses, to Moses and Israel, without this advice from Jethro? Burnout? Breakdown? Maybe civil war? Who knows? They may not have made it to the promised land. This call to delegate responsibility was once given to the leadership team in this church in 2004. I cannot resist doing another Charles Tumwini moment. <laughs> that guy, one preach, and he gave so much. It was probably one of the most prophetic days in this church I've ever, I've ever known. But Charles, in his nearly imitable way, he, he called Fraser to the front. And he gave him this word. And... He said this. I'm going to do his voice again because it's funny. <laughs> and by the way, I want to see if I can invite him back because it'd just be great. I'm not going to do the voice when he comes. <laughs> and you're not allowed to tell him that I've done the voice when he comes. Right. Um, you know yeah, but hopefully he won't trawl back through the archives. <laughs> he called Fraser to the front and he said this. He said, And the word of the Lord came unto Moses. No, hang on. Came unto Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And he said, he said, Take out the spirit that is upon you and place him upon 70 elders. He said, For the burden is too humongous. That stays with you. The burden is too humongous. And then he said, Ah, what a support team. Pastor, you are blessed. Amazing. Ah, what a support team. He went on to talk about praying people out into responsibility in preparation for a new move of the Holy Spirit. You are blessed. <laughs> Glory to the living God. Hallelujah. The burden is too humongous. The burden of caring for people is way too humongous for one or two people. 
the word still stands 12 years on. We need mature believers who are full of the Holy Spirit and faith to take initiative and responsibility to share in any new move of God in order to move forward sustainably. Amen? God can't send revival to a town with no leaders, no shepherds to lead a bigger flock. The burden is too humongous. Sometimes I think that there are churches in this country that haven't grown in decades because God is being kind to the leaders. If you've got a leadership structure that, re- results, that, that relies upon one priest to do everything and everyone else is passive and sat on their hands, God is not going to provide a great move of God because that poor leader is going to be chewed up in the process. If he's going to sweep people into the church, he needs to see a people prepared. When the church was first born in Acts, the, the, one of the first things that the apostles realized is that they needed people of wisdom and integrity to share the work of caring for the people who were coming to Christ. I can't resist reading Acts chapter 6. Let's just flip there for a moment. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. I hate those. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. I love the NLT. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, it says Prochorus, but there's a different translation in yours probably. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. That's the best I can do with those names. An earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and they laid hands on them. Next verse says, and God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted also. What a great story. Choose people who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, says the apostles. Jethro's word to Moses was find capable people who fear God. People who are trustworthy and who hate dishonest gain. People who won't accept a bribe or judge according to their own interests. That's verse 21. So let's put it all together. This is what the Lord needs to see already developed in you when the Spirit begins to move. God wants to see you capable, able to teach, able to share your testimony, able to pray with someone and to see people released. 
and to see people healed, capable, to be fearing God, to be respectful of God above all things and taking his word really seriously in your life, to be trustworthy. Can God trust you with kingdom responsibility? I believe he can if you're willing to accept it. Honest. Do you do what is right over doing what you want? Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of wisdom. And ready to take on your part in the leadership of others. That's what the Lord is looking for in this church. This is the kind of elders that the Lord seeks. The burden of God's purposes for the future is too humongous. He's making ready a wise and big-hearted generation. Amen? Amen.